Welcome to your most visionary life. On this weekly podcast, I sit down with visionary humans and ask them the one question that you probably want to know the answer to. How did they create, launch, and scale up the business of their dreams? My name is Kelsey Rydell, and I am the founder of Visionary Life and the Visionary Method. The intention behind all of our content is simple, and that is to plug you into the people, inspiration, and information that will help you create your own most visionary life. As you begin to listen to the episodes, you'll discover one obvious and common thread, and that's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. This show is going to help you consciously create a life you love on your own terms. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. All right. So welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. I am just sitting down here on Sunday evening. Dave and I just got back from testing out a Peloton bike. Uh, And I'm sure if you listen to podcasts, you may have heard of Peloton. They are kind of taking the cycling world by storm because... You can buy these awesome bikes, drop them in your home, and you can cycle at your convenience with these live classes using a screen, actually. So kind of fun. Just did that on a Sunday night, and we both loved it. Dave got super competitive. But I am home now, and it is time to record a nice intro for you all. So I am beyond excited to introduce this episode and really this series of episodes because we are going into another Spotlight Prince Edward County series. And this is in partnership with the county and with the Build a New Life blog. So stick around till the end of the episode today to hear all about this partnership, as well as in future episodes, so the next five or six where I'm going to share my why behind why I created this series for you. I'm going to share all of the wonderful people and visionary entrepreneurs that I've been able to meet up in the county, and I'm going to share a little bit more about why you might want to consider visiting the county, especially now that it turns to summer here in Ontario, Canada. And if you are not in Ontario and you're like, what is the county? It is a small area, about two hours north of Toronto. And even if you don't know if you'll ever get there one day, you're still going to love this series because I know that in every province, in every state, no matter where you live, there are these hidden gem little towns that are full of incredible humans. And so even if you are living in a small area right now and you're thinking, I'm not around inspiring people or I don't know who to connect with, I promise you there are people who are creating a life they love. And it's only a matter of time before you connect with them and figure out where you're going to meet them. All right, so let's dive into some life updates. So Really, today has been a day of work. It's Sunday, but uh, there was a lot to get done, and Dave and I are just finishing off the edits for the Visionary Life Retreat video. So as you know, two weeks ago, I hosted a Visionary Life Retreat here in Toronto, and I just want to say how grateful I am to everyone who came and just to everyone who supported me and has supported the Visionary Life brand since the beginning. And I talk a lot about the loneliness that can be sometimes hidden in entrepreneurship. And 
it really helps me when all of you reach out and you Instagram message and you send me emails and you rate and review the podcast and you show up at events like the one that I hosted a couple weeks ago because it really does make me feel that I, I'm not in this alone and that the message that I'm sharing is landing and that all of you are on this journey to live your most visionary life in some sort of way, just like I am. And so I wanted to start this episode off by just saying thank you. And I'm so honored that what I'm talking about is resonating with you. And one last time, I do want to give an epic shout out to some of the most incredible sponsors that helped to support the retreat and make it happen. I really couldn't have done it without them. So please support our sponsors, Sunday's Company and um, her donation, Melissa Condotta. She was on the podcast, so please check out her episode. But she was generous enough to give everybody a product to go home with. And I have heard rave reviews about the body oil that people are using. So Sunday's Company makes all natural apothecary style beauty infused with powerful herbs and the best that nature offers. So go to Sunday's Company's website and purchase and get yourself some of these fabulous products. You will not regret it. We had Point Blank Coffee, the best cold brew ever. So as the summer change or as the season changes and summer comes upon us, I know you're going to want to check out Point Blank. They are available for purchase online or you can find them at select coffee shops in Ontario uh, as well as I believe in the UK. So if you have any friends out there, send them to Point Blank. It's so refreshing, no bitterness, great amount of caffeine to get a little buzz off of. Go check out Point Blank Coffee. I know this is probably all going to sound like an ad, but I just really want to shout out all of these incredible sponsors. We had Healthy Planet sponsor the retreat as well, one of the best health food stores, incredible prices. I shop there because there is actually one near me here in Roncesvalles in Toronto, and they just have a great selection, and I've known a lot of the employees of Healthy Planet, the marketing managers, the sales managers, for quite some time, and I know that they're in it for the right reason. They love uh, elevating their brand through events and trade shows and connecting with all their customers in person. So if you have a Healthy Planet near you, check them out or shop online. Okay, a few more, so stick with me here. And these are just brands I love, so we all need to be sharing more of the things that are changing our lives, right? (laughs) Uh, Based Body Care, you all know that I'm obsessed with their creme brulee body lotion. It is heavenly. You need to try some because it will be an addiction, right? It's kind of like people are addicted to smoking while I'm addicted to my based. Um, I just smell it right out of the bottle, even if I'm not using it. I know, it's crazy. And finally, a couple more sponsors that made the retreat happen that I I really just want to shout out right away uh, before I forget and the the retreat kind of becomes this far away thing. So Garden of Life, my favorite supplements and proteins, their protein and greens, their raw organic protein, their my kind vitamin sprays are absolutely fabulous. So I wanted to give them a quick shout out and Tonica Kombucha. So if you are a kombucha lover and if you want to hear the story of Tonica Kombucha, Zoe, the founder, will be on an upcoming episode. So find your Tonica at places like Metro and Shoppers Drug Mart uh, and a few other grocery stores, Whole Foods. Uh, it's pretty widely available. So Tonica Kombucha, absolutely amazing flavors. 
great carbonation level, and I just absolutely love their story. Okay, last couple things. Um, we have our next Visionary Life Community Mastermind coming up. So this is something that I started last month. It'll be happening on the first Tuesday evening of every month at around 7.30. You can sign up at kelseyridle.com slash community. And this is simply a collective of amazing humans who meet together online, will chat on a certain topic, and we will do some Q&A. We will share our wins and challenges. This is for people who want to connect with a community, who want to tap in to their most visionary life, but maybe are not immersed in a tribe of people who are getting them there right now. So you're going to love this community mastermind. It's free. I just do this to get us all together and to feel inspired by one another because I know we have so many incredible people who are listening and who want to connect with one another. So this is kind of just the way that I organize it, that you can all meet one another, but just show up. You don't have to talk. Um, it's just a really cool opportunity to network without leaving your house. And finally, if you are interested in coaching for May and you're listening to this the day it comes out, April 28th, then you'll want to connect with me right away because there is a promo happening right now. You can save... 10% on coaching. Just DM me, ask me how, and I will hook you up. Okay, shifting gears. Let's get to the guest of the hour, the guest of the week. Today on the show, I am chatting with Aaron Armstrong of Blue Wheelbarrow, a farm in Prince Edward County, Ontario. So first, I want to say that Aaron is one of the most kind humans I've ever met. And he has such a warm personality that is truly magnetic, and I've only met him a couple times. And I want to publicly thank Aaron for re-recording this episode with me. Yes, we had to re-record it because last summer we did an interview and it was epic. And then a mere few hours later, I realized the episode didn't record. And I was truly heartbroken because it was such a good conversation. But as always, I believe things happen for a reason, and that meant that I got to chat with Aaron once again when I visited the county a few weeks back. And this conversation was even better, and so now you get to listen to our second conversation, and it's just like two friends catching up over lost time with a nice glass of white wine that he poured us, and we recorded such an amazing conversation for you. So who is Aaron? Aaron Armstrong is the owner of Blue Wheelbarrow Farm in Prince Edward County, as I mentioned. It's a three-acre organic vegetable farm specializing in baby greens, salad mixes, and tomatoes. Mm, 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 so many yummy things. And last time I was there in the summer, he gave me a bag of greens and it was, I ate them right out of the bag. <laughs> So cultivating community, celebrating the harvest, and feeding people fully is the foundation of Aaron's farm and his business. His produce can be found in over 20 different county restaurants and shops. He's such a business owner and an inspiring entrepreneur, as well as at the weekly Wellington Farmers Market and at his farm stand on site at Blue Wheelbarrow. The farm is now starting its fourth season of operations, but Aaron has been working in the field, literally in the field, <laughs> of organic vegetable farming for the past 10 years. Born and raised north of Toronto in Simcoe County, Aaron spent six years learning the best and most productive methods of organic farming around the world. 
working, interning, and that's aka woofing. <laughs> you can look it up. Woofing, W-W-O-O-F-I-N-G, throughout Ontario, British Columbia, Hawaii, France, England, Scotland, Greece, Italy, and New Zealand before bringing his favorite methods together to create his own farm in the spring of 2016. I know you're going to love this episode with Aaron. We covered so much ground and his journey is fascinating. His travels, which he dives into, why he believes that his theater background now plays a role in what he does, how the farm has evolved, how he was able to get the money to purchase um, land and to make this vision a reality. Aaron Armstrong is a visionary and I'm excited to welcome him today to the Visionary Life Podcast. Aaron, welcome back to the show. <laughs> so just so that the listeners have some context as to why I'm saying that, uh, we recorded almost a year ago, yeah. or maybe it was about eight to ten months ago, and it was one of those moments where when I got back to my desk in Toronto and I'm uploading all the episodes, ours was missing, <laughs> and my heart sunk, and uh, you were so kind to say that you would re-record, so oh, thank course. you for being here again. You're welcome, nice to see you again. Yeah, you too, and thank you for having me back to the farm, and uh, yeah, it's just really nice to record in people's homes sometimes, because I really get the vision of what it is that you do and where you live, and, and I love to, yeah, immerse myself in your environment too. So we're going to kick off, uh, as you know, with some rapid fire questions. So feel free to say whatever comes to mind. Okay. So we'll start with the easiest one. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up an hour north of Toronto around Alliston. Okay. Do you thrive in the early mornings or late at night? Now it has to be early mornings because uh, I need to usually get up at sunrise to, to get out to the fields before the heat of the day really hits in the summertime. So, yeah. Does that feel natural to you or would you rather sleep in? It does now. Wintertime's a good time for rest and sleep in. And at university, I was always a night hawk. But, mm -hmm. but now the, the flow has changed. And yeah, it feels very nice. I'm getting up at 7 now without an alarm. And that's nice to do. Yeah. It is, it's yeah. You kind of feel like you can attack the day when you get up early yeah. and that you have these magical quiet hours that people who sleep in, they don't get that. <laughs> but then they have the late night. So <laughs> um, what's one thing that you're excited about right now? Uh, I am really excited about um, my partner uh, growing uh, fresh cut flowers on the farm this year. Um, we met last season when he was interning on the farm and a romance blossomed, which is great. And it's and it's stayed. And so now he's moved here and he's going to start up his own business on the farm, Ben's Blooms. So I'm really excited to see uh, his floral arrangements and, and he's, I mean, basically going to make the farm look beautiful, which I'm very, very excited about for this season. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the growth over the year, but that's so cool that you're adding in that new pillar to your business. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite way to spend a day off of work? Favorite way to spend a day off would be starting my day with a bay breakfast at Picton Harbor Inn, um, at the lighthouse restaurant, uh, doing uh, the thrift store uh, rotation in the area and uh, then probably finding myself down by the lake with a book and some food and just, yeah, relaxing there or meeting up with friends and playing some cribbage, playing some euchre. Like that's for my uh, day off during the height of the season. That is, that is 
total relaxation for mm. me. Uh, that sounds so great to <laughs> me right now. Um, what are some of the best thrift stores that you found here? So there's a Second Time Around, which is right beside the Tim Hortons. There's okay. the Community uh, Living for Seniors, which is on the main street by Crow's Footwear. And then there's some like hidden gems, the, the um, uh, Whatnot Shop in the basement of the, I think it's the Anglican Church yeah, in Yeah, I drove Wellington. past that today. Yeah, with the weirdest hours, but uh, you find some amazing stuff down in there. And um, Koopmans as well, too. Auction House, uh, used to, they used to do live auctions in there, but now I think they're open three days a week, and they have some really, really cool stuff. A lot of furniture and records and tools, and yeah, I was really Ooh, impressed. I just discovered cool. that one, so that's, yeah. that's new on my radar. It's a treasure hunt yeah, all yeah, the yeah. time. <laughs> um, what's the best place you've ever traveled to? I still can't get an answer for this one because it's I know. always so I hard. I forget what you said I last can't year. remember. And now we can't even <laughs> listen to it. So. I, think, I think for the overall experience um, was the big island of Hawaii. I lived there for five months doing a managerial internship uh, on the, the west side, the Kona side. And uh, that, yeah, I became part of the community and made some really, really strong connections. I... I really give a lot of the credit to um, how I run my business to uh, Barry, uh, who ran the farm, who owned the farm there. Like, I, I shadowed him, and that was, yeah, that was the best. But also, you know, uh, Edinburgh was amazing, too, uh, mm -hmm. going there for a, for a vacation. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so now we're going to zoom the lens back a little bit. And, uh, well, maybe first we should have a cheers, a cheers. to this wine you poured. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the county after all, so. Mm, and that is good wine, too. It'll warm us up a yeah. little bit. Okay, so zooming back to what was your trajectory going through school? Did you go to school? Did you study? And then what were your first few maybe jobs after graduating? And kind of what did your life look like at that point? Yeah, so so I, I am a first-generation farmer, so I didn't grow up with farming in my family, but I grew up around farms. And when I was five years old, when the the teacher tells you to paint something that you want to be when you grow up and kids are doing astronauts or you know uh, paleontologists or whatever um, I, I said a farmer and uh, I was going to paint what I, I was going to farm during the day paint what I farmed at night and be married to Rebecca Afu who is my five-year-old childhood sweetheart so I guess one out of three childhood dreams achieved <laughs> isn't bad shout out to Rebecca if she's shout listening out to Rebecca. <laughs> um and, uh, and then I totally segued into uh, theater. That was like stage management and being on stage I loved. Um, and I went to uh, York University to study theater, went to the tech program, later changed into the uh, studies and uh, criticism uh, program, the more academic side. Um, and yeah, and, and then right out of university, I was already working for a children's toy company called Spin Master Toys in Toronto, um, down at their old offices on, on Front Street. And it just was a, a weird trajectory of how things moved. And I really loved that job, but I also started to get really burnt out by it because it was, I learned that I wasn't meant to be inside. Um, although with the paleness of my skin, I probably should be inside most <laughs> of the time and out of the sun. Um, and I discovered something called woofing while I was at a garage sale randomly in Roncesvalles um, and uh, ran in conversation with this guy and I looked it up and I was, I was at, at that point in my life really needing a change. I was feeling super burnt out. I was putting all my time 
into my work, um, 12 hour days. And then another, uh, you know, Saturday on the weekend working from home. Uh, I had gone through a, a bad breakup a few months beforehand. And so kind of, you know, numbed with the work, um, working through those emotions and, uh, woofing it's W W O O F. It stands for willing workers on organic farms. And it's a volunteer exchange program that you can do really in any country in the world, um, probably except North Korea. And you go for however long you like, you do uh, like two weeks, three weeks, you have all your food taken care of and a place to stay in exchange for your labor. And I had, I had never traveled on my own before. I'd done a couple of road trips across Canada, but um, I was needing to get out of my current situation. And this, I just felt so stuck. I couldn't see, it was like a wall in front of me. I didn't even know what I was going to do next. There was no idea, there was no spark. And this sparked this uh, adventure that I was on. And so I wanted to travel, but I wanted to be a little more purposeful um, instead of just the museum, hostel, bar, which is nice, but your money goes very fast. So I went to Europe for nine months, Called went to 12 different farms uh, over five countries, Italy, Greece, Scotland, France, uh, and uh, England. And just, it was life-changing for me. It was totally life-changing. And it was everything from a dairy sheep farm where you had to milk by hand 83 uh, sheep uh, twice a day. Other ones were uh, a cider orchard uh, that made hard cider in, in uh, Dorset, uh, England. Uh, another one was um, a arts retreat. Another one was a vineyard. Like it, it sort of ran the gamut. I wanted to see what I connected with over there because I'd never done anything like this before. And it was a vegetable farm in uh, Dorset, England, that I discovered my love for farmers markets and growing vegetables and really having that one-on-one -on -one connection with people which was so important to me and it felt it gave me this really deep sense of purpose and i could feel you know you feel something in your bones it's like right deep in your core in your in your gut and i went this is what i need to be doing with my life and i was probably five or six months into the trip at that point and that's when it solidified for me and I went I need to I need to pursue this this is this is my calling mm -hmm. um, do yeah. you remember how it felt to make that decision from being in Toronto a big city having a life there working a full-time job to basically giving that all up to go woofing like was it scary? Did you just sell everything and feel excited? Like, cause I know a lot of people, they're probably listening going, yeah, I hate my job and I want to change and yeah. I'm stuck and I'm bored and I would love to go travel and work, but can't even envision how they would ever make that happen. Yes. Do you remember what that felt like for you? I, oh, absolutely. It was uh, really scary because it was letting go of everything. It was completely shifting outside of my comfort zone. Not only am I, going to have my entire world on my back for nine months, but I'm going to countries where I know, know none of the languages uh, and and I'm going to be doing a lot of this alone. And I was like, I've always struggled with depression my whole life. And, and I get these episodes where all of a sudden the joy just falls away and I can't even remember the last time I felt happy, even if it was 
the day before. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was very scary to also have to, in a way, bring that with me too. But, um, I was super excited to do it. I just, I needed an adventure and I needed to challenge myself. Mm -hmm. That's what the real driving force behind it was that I need to challenge myself and, um, get outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I I was in a situation where I didn't have a partner. I didn't have pets. I didn't have like my lease was, was, uh, coming to an end on my apartment. So, and, and I also had friends whose stuff I could throw in, in basements and things like that. So, so the logistics part wasn't too, too difficult for me. It's actually, it's a lot simpler than I, I think I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of people are willing. It's just stuff's very spread out, but it was a mix of trepidation, fear, excitement, adventure. It was, yeah, wonderfully complicated, uh, mm-hmm. emotions at the same time too. And wanting to do it perfectly which is a weird thing like to travel perfectly which you 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 don't all my stuff was brand new i folded everything when i put it in my big backpack i didn't roll it or like stuff it in everything was nice and neat so that when i brought it out it's like ah there we go and i had to have the look and then i i totally like that that part fell away and you just became really comfortable in your own skin and yeah you you Connect with people in ways that you never thought you could connect. Mm-hmm. It's a huge growth experience too. And I think for a lot of people, they're, they're sometimes fearful of almost failure. Like what if I quit my job, go traveling and I run out of money or I don't find my passion or uh, it's not all as glamorous as it seems. But I think, I mean, it could have gone either way for you, but Absolutely. you'll never know until you try. And it's always a growth experience. Like you probably grew in a million different ways. And of course it led you kind of to where you are today. But even if it was a total bust, it still would have been a growth experience, got you out of the job that you were feeling stagnant at and potentially led you to a different job in Toronto. Who yeah, knows? Absolutely, but you absolutely. have to make those hard decisions sometimes to just say, let's try to pivot and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And, and you it just took, do it. It took a while. Like, I think it took me about five months to actually get up. I had broken my arm while I was planning this, so that kind of delayed it. Um, but in, in terms of, of you, of the change that happens uh, as you travel, when I got back home, my, my uh, brother had even commented, he's like, you're a lot more relaxed to be around now. I can, I can, I can stand being around you for longer periods of time. And it's mm-hmm. not this anxiety that, that like creeps in and, and uh, yeah, I, I become a lot more chill apparently. So yeah. Traveling is definitely very life changing. Uh, like yeah. that. And yeah. so let's go back to, so you're in Europe, I think you said eight months or so. Nine months. Yeah. Nine months. So what happens after that? So does your woofing come to an end and then where did you go next? Yeah. Woofing came to an end. Uh, I came, uh, back home and I started to look for work. Uh, I was uh, looking for either tree planting and it was at that point that I really wanted to keep challenging. So tree planting is like the ultimate, I find, challenge. I never I never got around to doing it. And I was looking for work on farms, on organic farms. And it was still very early in the season, December, January, for people to be posting. So I kind of, you know, bided my time. I did, I worked around uh, my, my family's house because I didn't have my uh, my place anymore. They're out on, they were out on Vancouver Island and, uh, yeah, was looking for work and then found a job, uh, in the Fraser Valley, uh, east of Vancouver on an organic vegetable farm and got hired on as a field assistant. 
um, with uh, and, and a paid job. Because usually a lot of times when people start into farming, organic farming in Canada, they're doing internships and because they don't have the experience for it. But I had had this nine month experience, albeit on different farms. So I was uh, I was able to use that to to get work and wanted to stay and uh, see things for an entire season. Because when I was out, when I was in England and, and discovering this, uh, the, the vegetable farming is something that I really wanted to pursue. I wanted to know, because it was a three week period that I was out there and I wanted to know it from beginning to end, from the very first seed you plant to the last thing that you harvest. What is that season going to be like for you? How will all the steps be in the rhythms? And is it something that uh, I could work with, or am I just going to be going, no, 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 this is, you know, it's like a polar opposites and I'm going, no, I, I, this can't work. So I wanted to test myself and see if this was something that I would want to commit myself to. Mm -hmm. And so you obviously felt like I do love this. And were you having those sparks of joy in that job? I was, I was, despite the, 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 um, owners, uh, <laughs> not having the best relationship with the owners, which was, um, which was too bad. Um, but, but I still loved it even, even though there was those personality clashes. Um, so that was saying something, uh, for me and, and I wanted to keep learning. I wanted to learn, cause I learned a lot about growing that season, um, personally and vegetables, but I wanted to learn the business side of it because I knew some, a lot of the practical, but running a business is completely different than the work that you do within the business. Um, there's, there's so much else to it. And, and, uh, I looked for the next opportunity was for me to, uh, go somewhere where I could learn business and management. And I found that, uh, in Hawaii on the, on the big island of Hawaii, doing a managerial internship on a farm that I was, that I started woofing at. Oh. And the, uh, owner asked me to stay on longer. And I said, okay, I was going to hop to other islands, but I said, if you want me to stay on, I want you to teach me how you do what you do. Because they were doing, I think, $200,000 a year of just lettuce, which I was like, well, they can also grow 52 weeks out of the year. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew, and it was so, it seems so effortless. Management is that kind of thing that when it's done right, it's effortless. You don't notice it. But the second that it's done wrong, it is so apparent it's like a it sticks out like a sore thumb so um yeah i wanted to learn from 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 that and and then learn how to do crop plans and then how to well if i'm doing that how do i approach restaurants uh, to actually sell my stuff and how do i uh you know with, with have a mortgage and set up a business account at the uh, bank and how do i do marketing and social media and and all these things bit by bit i kept learning before i started my own. And once I felt like I was ready and I could see it from beginning to end, mm -hmm. then I went, okay, now is time to actually branch out on my own and, and start my own business. Mm -hmm. So when you were in Hawaii woofing, uh, and doing this managerial internship, is that when you first got the idea that, Hey, maybe one day I could do this or has being an entrepreneur always been on your mind and always been something you've wanted to chase after it hasn't it hasn't um that was really the first time when i went hey i could do this on my own i was because i was i was working a lot um as a stage manager so people were running their own theater companies i was happy to be part of that i never wanted to run my own um and this was the first time i went okay this is 
achievable. I can see the pieces of the puzzle instead of just like empty spaces of what do we even do in these moments. So yeah, that's where, that's where the seed was planted and that was 2012. And then I didn't start my own farm until 2016. So it still took um, four or five years uh, until I actually started my own. So what was happening in those uh, three to four years? So you were in Hawaii that whole time and then did you move back and just kind of work odd jobs in Ontario or what did those few years look like leading up to launching Blue Wheelbarrow? Yeah, it was it was all uh, learning. I uh, Everything self-taught. I was thinking of going back to school, but I found that the hands-on, um, you know, immediate uh, uh, gratification of, of seeing what you're doing um, was was fantastic and and being able to do things in real time and learning the lessons and seeing the mistakes and also seeing most importantly what mistakes other people are making so I don't repeat those mistakes what they do and what they don't do um, was just as important so I worked uh, on Vancouver Island at a Sprouts farm uh, I did a uh, year here in Prince Edward County actually which is how I discovered the county at a at a farm. Uh, and then I did a year in the south of France, in the Cévennes Mountains, uh, working on a uh, onion farm out there. And that's the farm where I started being able to do crop plants, because they were much more small scale. And, and they were maybe doing five different types of vegetables instead of other farms, which really, if you're doing a, a CSA or a weekly vegetable box, you have to have that constant variety over the season. So you can have up to 30, 40 different types of vegetables. And these guys uh, really streamlined into, into five different crops, which was great to see how you could do each one um, with the greatest efficiency and the greatest output. And yeah, it was, it was there that I started to plan uh, my own business. I had, I had secured some land here to lease in the county and was using now that template to start the early stages of Blue Wheelbarrow Farm. Mm -hmm. So did you kind of write yourself like a formal business plan? Did you just keep a notebook with all your ideas? How were you really compiling everything that was in your head, all of your learnings, everything you were soaking in from all these different internships and jobs? Where were you channeling that to say that, hey, one day all of this could become a business? Yeah, uh, notes. So many, so many notes. I I was doing a Marie Kondo of my uh, storage <laughs> space and I found all these notebooks. I'm like, oh, yeah, these have some great little uh, tidbits in it. So like even just like going out and doing measurements of spacing between plants, like sure, there's the large overall stuff of, of timelines and different things, but even the small subtle things of how we trellised or tomatoes or, or different things. Um, and <clears throat> my, <clears throat> excuse me, my crop plan was really my business plan. Um, I knew um, what I wanted to gross in that first year and then work backwards from that of what now the practical um, aspects are gonna be and how much I need to grow of each thing uh, to, to reach that goal. Um, I wanted to start small, I wanted to learn how to use a small space and do it right, and then build upon that. It wasn't uh, a goal of starting with five acres, which is a lot to do. I'm only still, this is my fourth year, I'm only doing three acres now. So um, yeah, I had I had the business vision and, and I also created the business values, first of all, which I found have been so important on the days when I completely lose why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, when you just really are in a huge stage of self-doubt, 
Um, and Most I, mornings when I wake up, <laughs> I have at least one second of, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I call it a bad case of the inadequacies. Yeah. Um, and, and it's coming back to setting those core values that, that you um, did. So business ethics, business morals, it, it just of why you're doing what you're doing. Because we can get lost in the day-to-day -day and the, the monetary value of things and, and how well, like if you're looking year over year and you're seeing things aren't succeeding as well as they did the year prior or, or whatnot, it's to, to come back to where you're grounded and know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I feel like it's such lingo that we hear all the time when we're starting businesses it's like make sure you know your why and don't forget to write your core values and your mission statement and some people kind of just breeze by that stage but then when the tough times come when they get bad feedback bad reviews when it's a tough month then those people generally might quit on themselves because mm -hmm. they forget to root back to why did I get in this in the first place? Like when all the stressors of business come up that we're going to face um, inevitably, go back to why you initially launched this and remind yourself that you started this work for a reason and because it's meaningful and you need something to guide you even on the dark days. So if you haven't written out your core values, your business vision, your morals, your why, I would highly suggest to the listeners, just get back to a piece of paper and just scribble it out. And it's okay if it evolves too, but just make sure that you have that to constantly guide you. Yeah, create a mandate for mm -hmm. your company. It's, it's, and it could be just four points, just do four core values, something like that. And, and think of the cornerstones of a, of a house. And the thing that I've found has been so beneficial from doing that is I'm able to connect with so many people because I'm able to share what my core values are of the business and 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 really their core values for for me personally too and when people are trying to connect with what you're doing they want to hear a story the story is Brene Brown has this great thing where she says stories are just data with a soul so People, people want to hear the, the hows, but they also want to hear the whys and the, the what's driving you and, and to be able to connect with that if they want to start working with you or, or, or you know, um, supporting you. It's, uh, pe people want to support the person as much as they want to support the business. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of something that I always coach in um, with all my students and clients when they're launching a business is that you have to have both heart and mechanics in your business. And it's kind of like, you know, if you're the type that's really good at the processes of your business and you're, you're so good with your numbers and project management, but then when you get in front of someone, you can't connect with them and you can't even like share authentically why you're in business and you have no soul and heart behind your business, you're not going to be able to grow as fast as you want. But then there's the other side. And if, if you're pure soul and you forget to charge for your product <laughs> yeah. and you know, you, you're not in control of your finances and you have no systems or processes for growth, that's not good either. And so I think as entrepreneurs, we need a little bit of a balance between that mechanical piece and that heart piece. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what you said, data with a soul. It's like, yeah, you can communicate all the data and the business values and all that, but if there's no heart or 
or soul behind it, no stories, no life experiences that you're sharing, you're missing out on a huge way to, to connect with your audience, yeah. right? And, and to what you said of, of if you go in with just soul, that can be, I mean, when you're, when you're putting your self-worth on your, on the, um, uh, basis of how well your product does, it's a very, it's very dangerous to do that because if the product doesn't do well, then therefore your self-worth doesn't do well if you if you link it that closely together and and farming is the kind of thing that people also think you go into for a lifestyle um and that it's kind of you know easier people are going, oh i had one woman come up to me at a, at a farm at a, my farm stand and say oh so you are, are you one of those millennials that went all back to the back to the earth kind of thing <laughs> and i went you mean am i someone that wants to feed people because that's what I want to do. I want to feed people. It's that, it's that deeper purpose. But people still have this stigma in their head. And, and a lot of people, when they get into organic farming, it's, it's like, I'm going to leave the real... I'm going to have something so much simpler. And it is the furthest thing from simple. It is so... There's so many hundreds of... Like thousands of tiny details and tricks. Like, like any business that you have to uh, know, I think it's, it's a much more stronger connection with the land. But if you go into it for... Uh, the living, uh, sorry, for the lifestyle, if you go in for the lifestyle, you're not going to make a living out of it. Uh, but if you go into it to make a living out of it as a business, as a, as a career, you will probably get the lifestyle that you want out of that. But by going in, that's just soul. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very dangerous thing to do if that's what you, uh, Mm -hmm. connect your worthiness to. Definitely. And I do think it's tough for um, businesses and solopreneurs because oftentimes we are more gifted naturally at one versus the other. Like either I'm really good at the business and I suck at connecting with people or I'm just so passionate about it, but I have no business skills. And so I think it's really got to be that fine balance that you really work on in that first few years and, and make sure that you are willing to continue to advance your skills in both. So constant learning experience. Um, Do you remember in that first year of business, I know a lot of the listeners are in the early stages of launching or they're in their first year of putting themselves out there. Do you remember like some of the early wins and challenges that you had in that first year of launching Blue Wheelbarrow? Yes, yes. Well, the biggest challenge was that two weeks before I was going to start, I was, I had gone to Vancouver Island to spend the winter out there and, and work out there and stay with my family. And two weeks before I was to fly back, the people who I was leasing land from said that they no longer wanted me or the market garden on their property anymore. Uh-oh. Right off the bat, I was like, great, okay, here we go. Challenge but, one. Challenge <laughs> one. Um, but I, I immediately went into problem-solving mode. I didn't, I was, I was really, really angry um, and frustrated, but never went into woe is me. It was... This is happening. I have this plan. I have the crop plan. I was just about to order all my seed for the season too. Um, and, and went into uh, survivalist mode and started to find uh, other properties. And the timing was so right for the place that we're at right now um, that it had been for sale for a year and a half. I wasn't even looking at purchasing a property with a house on it even. My family said, we'd love to support you you've been doing this now for six years this we know this isn't a flash in the pan kind of thing so we will help you with the down payment so was able to purchase land with a farmhouse on it which has been so amazing it immediately felt like home so that was 
that was a huge win um, to to suddenly be homeless to now have a place that feels like home like the moment I stepped into the house so that was incredible and it was a it had been a farm years before um, uh, and a market garden on it the land was still being used outside but it nothing to the scale that I was doing it at so I had to start from scratch from nothing uh, there were outbuildings, like there was a barn, so I had an area under cover that I could do my washing and processing and things like that. But the field hadn't been tilled, there were no polytunnels up, greenhouses up, so everything you had to go from zero to full, like, ramp up to, to 100%. Uh, and we did it within uh, two months from the day that I took possession of the house to my very first harvest and sending uh, my first greens to restaurants was was two months i don't really know how we did it um i had amazing help from people that came from uh, other people came from around the world because they i had woofed on their farms and they wanted to come and help me and start up my business so that was incredible but uh yeah that was the the rate that we succeeded in getting up and running was uh i i yeah i just I just went, this is going to happen. I, I sort of, like looking back on it now, I went, what was I thinking? But at the moment I was going, this would need to happen first and next and da 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 and it'll happen when it happens. Um, and then a challenge that year later was that it was a, a drought, like probably the worst drought in, in 40 years in Prince Edward County. So at the beginning of August, I had uh, nine different chefs that I was selling to, three different shops, going to the farmer's market, everything stopped growing. <laughs> it just, it just stopped. It just didn't grow anymore. All the greens, all the beans stopped flowering to, to produce the beans. Um, tomatoes thankfully kept going because the roots had been deep enough and they got down into the, into the soil and into the moisture below, but no rain. We got four millimeters of rain between May and September that year. So I had to make some very hard calls to chefs on the Friday of the long weekend saying, I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry. This is the way that it is. And they were uh, understanding because everybody knew that it was a tough, a tough season. And because we're neighbors too, it's not just like, you know, if, if a distribution company calls you up, like, we don't have this. It's, it's faceless. You don't know the person there. This was really like, people were going, oh, this is frustrating because I knew it'd be frustrating for them too. Suddenly they don't have lettuces for their dinners for one of the busiest weekends of the year um so yeah that was another huge challenge mm -hmm. for that always a growth experience always a growth too experience. and i think if you want to start a business and have no problems don't start a business yeah. but yeah those are moments where you go oh my gosh is this what i've signed up for yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of your new reality is to constantly be problem solving and, and to be honest too like don't don't call them up and say yeah i'll get you whatever you need oh yeah because that doesn't go over well either so just being super truthful and keeping people informed of what's going on and the realities and transparencies behind running a business so yes yes and and being able to if someone asks you something to be able to say no instead of saying yes and then unable to deliver mm -hmm. it's okay to say no when people ask if you can do this because uh you will have an incredible amount of resentment maybe potentially to that person later for saying yes to yourself for saying yes and 
you know, work within your abilities. You always push yourself, but know what your boundaries are, especially your first few years of doing the business, because you are the business. If you overextend yourself, then the business is done. If, if you're exhausted, then, then the business fails. I probably had about four breakdowns that first summer mm-hmm. of moments going, I can't do it like I'm doing it. And had to cut back on a whole bunch of things. Like I was adapting and evolving daily, hourly sometimes. Um, and, and, and going with that, going with that flow. So it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, keeping it small and knowing how to do it well before you go huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally a takeaway for anyone who's uh, in business right now is yeah. Really refine your processes and don't be afraid to start small and once you've kind of got that down pat and you, you feel very confident about that, then think about that growth trajectory. You don't always have to have that 10-year vision that you're trying to accomplish like right away. It's <laughs> no. not going to work like that. It's going to be small baby steps and mastering your craft and scaling up in a way that feels good for you and that supports your, your mental health and that supports your team and um, really the pace at which you're able to grow. So speaking of growth, in years two, three do you want to just describe like how things have grown uh, crop wise, maybe what changed and hiring some team members to come on board to help you yeah. maybe just paint a picture for the listener. Of course, I'm sure there's lots of stories that could be told, but of what evolved in year two and three leading up to where we are today. Well, so we were able to start expanding um, in the, in the fields, just adding maybe another 16,000 square feet every single year. We were able to get more uh, restaurants, more chefs. First year, I was having to approach everybody. But the second year, all these chefs came and approached me because we had been putting out a really great product and had cultivated a good reputation uh, as, as a business, which was so important for me to do and really be involved in the community. Um, so we uh, last year, year three, were up to uh, 22 uh, different chefs. Uh, and or stores that we were selling to, which is uh, very different from the 12 we had year one. Um, and some some big, uh, big sellers, uh, too, like the Drake takes a lot from us, which is very cool. Alexandra, I love you. So uh, the great. head chef at the Drake, Devonshire. And uh, we've been able to have, uh, add on staff now. So add on a payroll. I've been able to, well, only one full-time staff. We have two summer students uh, that uh, are joining us uh, this year. Uh, one of them has been here since year one, which is amazing. He is now the, the longest running employee and he's just 16. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole other story. Uh, but um, we were also um, able to bring interns onto the farm because I really love to teach and I want to... We need more farmers. The The amount of farmers are just dwindling, especially young farmers. I think the last agricultural census, the 2016 one, it was the first time in 40 years that the numbers had gone up, but it went up by like 10 people. So and after dropping for, from at the numbers of under 35 farmers. Um, so I would love to teach future generations how to farm and how to how to run their own business and to see it as a viable business uh, instead of just something that you kind of are born into but something that you can start up on your own and uh, 
yeah, we were able to do a renovation on the barn uh, and fix that up. It was it was uh, it was a, is about 140 years old, and it was essentially like Keith Richards. It was kind of uh, had had so much damage done to it over the years, and yet somehow is still standing, and you have no <laughs> idea how it's still standing. So we we got some beams replaced in there, and I've just learned personally so much more about planning ahead of time. I start my crop plans in January. Uh, I don't do my first seedlings until April. So I'm I'm thinking about some of this stuff for, for three months, uh, four months uh, ahead of the game. I'm also looking to the following season. Uh, so I'm, I'm already thinking about year five, uh, which sounds so strange saying it out loud, year five. But um, you're, al- you're always looking ahead. And I've learned a lot about how to manage a crew. Uh, I've, I've grown a lot in... Uh, handling my own finances and handling my own bookkeeping um, in in also being more uh, actively involved with the community. I was able to be part of a ad hoc committee to uh, create a, a grant for new and young farmers in Prince Edward County last year, which I was really happy to be part of that discussion and be able to have my input uh, into that and uh, it was a, it was a success. We got a, a grant uh, set, which was really fantastic. Um, yeah, and it's made me a lot less nervous about the future. Each year, first year it was it was a total. I had no idea what to expect, and with farming, you're so reliant on the weather, and you kind of you can make a plan, but you know that you're going to have to change that immediately. And I've really settled into this, whatever is going to happen will happen and I just have to work with it and it's going to be it's going to be fine you know it's it's finding staff or it's too late and suddenly I don't have any interns like you know what someone will appear it's it's people will be looking for you and and you don't even realize it yet so yeah accepting accepting the the ebbs the and flows unexpected yeah and the ebbs and flows yeah mm-hmm. and 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 letting that sit and be still let that be uncomfortable but also just leaning into that and being okay with that and going it's whatever's going to happen is going to happen so it's a great point so you obviously got into farming and get you you launched this business out of a love for farming and growing food and you know feeding people Mm -hmm. But obviously when you start a business, it also requires you to kind of put on your managerial hat. And now you say you're passionate about uh, like showing others that this is a viable business. So do you feel like you're less now working in your business and more kind of working on the bigger picture? Or where do you spend your time these days? Are you are you still the one like doing a lot of the groundwork to, to plant everything and make this farm run, but also running the business? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, how yeah. do you balance that? You're wearing a lot of hats. I'm just wondering, where is your time spent these days? Or yeah. is it still kind of wherever it needs to be? It's a really good question because... I guess, I mean, it, it really has changed. It, it changes week by week, too, um, when, when you're in the thick of it. the I was able to, last year, work a lot more on the business because I had a great crew. And if you can find great people to work for you, you don't have to worry as much about the field stuff. So I was able to work on... Um, the the bookkeeping keep that up to date and doing deposits and doing social media and doing marketing um building business relations 
because I knew that what was happening out in the field, I could step away for a few hours or, or, or a day if need be and, and you know, work on uh, different things that have to do with the, the business. Um, I still am out in the field as much as possible. I love out being out in the field. Like the bigger your business grows, the less you're in the field. Um, and I, and I want to be able to find that balance that works for me too. Uh, and I'm still, I'm still finding that, uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I can't say that I'm totally confident in, in how I'm handling that at the moment. So is there a tool or a resource or a ritual or an object that as a business owner who's balancing a lot of things and wearing many hats that you feel like you couldn't run your business without? Ooh, um, well, I think it's, I think it's very specific to the field that I'm in. Uh, there's a, a book that the uh, Canadian Organics Grower puts out called uh, Crop Planning for Small-Scale Farms. I would have not been able to uh, do this without that tool. That has been one of the most resourceful tools that I constantly refer back to as well. It's, it's very nitty-gritty practical. It's not... Um, you know, one of those nice gardening books that shows like how pretty everything is. It's like, here's the charts, here's the Excel spreadsheets, uh, which is what I needed. And, and that has been incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's tr just having, for, for me, the thing that I absolutely need uh, is community. If I don't have a good community around me, and a support network, then I, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. So, so I guess that is my, um, what, what did you say? The, yeah, the tool, an object, a ritual. Ri yeah, or... yeah that, is, that, is, that is the tool for me mm. is, is, uh, is the community support and, and that connection because that's what I want to cultivate. I want to cultivate community with this business. I would like this farm to be a hub, to be a place that people can come and just connect with others and eat really good food and drink some good wine and laugh and share stories and play music like that's that's the vision of this place that's that's what I always want it to have that energy uh, about it so yeah that's that's been really really important for me and that's what also drew me to Prince Edward County was the sense of community Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time I come here, I really do feel that. I feel like anytime I am mentioning a name to someone, they're like, oh, I know her. or I shop at her store or his yeah. store or his farm. And I met them this way. And it does seem like there is a nice, strong sense of community here. And I really love that there seems to be tons of support for businesses mm -hmm. uh, and lots mm -hmm. of resources for you all to tap into. And that's one of the reasons why I love coming here to chat with um, all the visionary business owners of the county. Um, this is a totally random question, but do you feel like your background in theater ever helps you to run your business or does it come into play at all in what you do today? Because I'm always really fascinated with how the trajectories of our lives really end up putting us in a place where oftentimes we are utilizing all the skills we've built up in our toolbox. Every single day. Really? Helps me. <laughs> Every single day. I'm so glad that you asked that question. Uh, there is so many, there's this such a clear similarity between theater and farming for me and it's it's the putting on a show and putting uh setting up your farm stand 
and it sounds sounds a little weird, but but bear with me. So you you have first your rehearsal period. You have your your pre-production period in theater, where you're getting a script, you're getting a space, you're budgeting, you're uh, finding actors. Uh, so you're getting your crop plans done. You're figuring out which varieties of plants to grow and the seed and how much space you need for that. And then you start your rehearsal period and you get the right people together to create something. This is the end goal. And you do your staging, you rehearse it over and over as many times as you need to, or you're out in the field and you're planting and that's your, that's your rehearsal period. And then you put on your show and the people in the audience have no idea how much work has just got into what they see on stage. And it's really similar at farmer's markets when people come up to the farm stand and they just don't have a sense of how much planning went into what they see in front of them. It's like, you know, there's that thing where some people ask, is this fresh? Like, was this picked today? And, and you have to, you have to laugh and cause people genuinely think that maybe it was picked today. And you go, no, this was, this was picked yesterday. Is that, is that okay? But you know, what, what they see there was nine weeks just to grow that one item potentially, but you have months before that of planning to make sure that you have the stock to make sure that it can go to all these restaurants that week and have enough for the farmer's market and have enough for the farm stand. So the, because I did a lot of stage management, it, you have to be so organized. Every single step, you had to know where every actor was, every cue, every prop, every light. And it's the same thing here where if you know where everything is and you have all your seeds set and you know exactly how many rows are going to go in a bed and how many uh, feet you need to plant, it makes it so much easier when you start the rehearsal period to just jump right in and you don't have to keep saying, oh, well, what is, what is this amount? And, oh, I have to go back and check. Now, hold on, guys. And you take 20 minutes and you leave. So it's, yeah, it's, it's every day. And you meet the most wonderful uh, cast of characters. <laughs> uh, very uh, awesome people from so many different backgrounds and personalities. And you just have to know how to, how to make that into a farm family. Mm. I like that. I, yeah, I just find it always interesting to hear how people like can relate their previous life or their background or their their education to what they're doing today because I think we should never discount what you got up to, you know, in the first like 20, 30, 40 years of your life because chances are you can use some bit of that or relate it to what you're doing today. And I think that's a perfect example. I would never assume theater and farming to have like some sort of parallels, but the story you've just described i'm like yeah yeah i get it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i find there's no there's been no such thing as a wasted experience for me even even the really crappy ones and the really bad ones i've still learned a lot of what not to do like if if i had a, a manager before that just really liked to to pick on me for whatever reason or to put me down in my work that experience taught me that i never want to be that kind of boss even though I was, you know, miserable in that moment. And uh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no such thing as a wasted experience. I love that. I think that's so important to remind ourselves every day. It's never a failure, always a lesson. Yeah. All right. So we are going to wrap this up with the question that I ask all of our Visionary Life podcast guests. So a lot of the people listening today, I know that they're in a phase where they really want to start a business or they're feeling inspired by your journey of launching Blue Wheelbarrow. 
but perhaps in their own life, they just have no idea where to begin. So they've got this idea in their head and they're like, what do I do next? They feel paralyzed. What advice would you offer that person who's yearning to start up a business but doesn't know where to start based on your own experience going through this journey? I would say find a business that you admire or a person that you admire and shadow them or ask them to be your mentor. I've done that with a few people. That's what happened in the lettuce farm in Hawaii. It's also what happened at the Sprouts Farm in Vancouver Island with Carmen Wakeling. I see someone who embodies the type of business owner and the type of and has the type of business that I want to achieve. And I want to know how you did that. I'm, I was not in a rush at that time to get my own thing started. I wanted to learn from the best, who I considered the best. So that I think is like for me the most the most important and see see how they see how they do it mm-hmm. uh, and how they do it well because it is it is a skill that is very difficult to learn because like I said before good management is so subtle and invisible and effortless but it actually has taken a lot of work mm-hmm. to get there and a lot of mistakes too you will you know you will always say the wrong thing at times. And, and even though that's not what you intended, you will still be able to learn from that and do that better the next time. Uh, and it'll make you a better business owner, a better manager, a better person. I couldn't agree more with that. I, I just think that's so true. Like find someone who's doing what you want to be doing or someone who has the skills that you don't and start following them really closely. Like if they're in your area, connect with them. If they're not, learn about them online and watch their YouTube videos and, and surround yourself with either someone or multiple people who are setting the example of what's possible and can teach you their ways so that you can potentially follow their path. And don't be afraid to ask them. Yeah, like, reach out, like say yeah, hi. I know, that's the most ner- uh, unnerving part is that you don't want to inconvenience them or something like that. But, you know, if, if they're the kind of person that you hope they are, they will be open to answering your questions. Mm, so very true. All right, so if someone wants to learn more about Blue Wheelbarrow, maybe they want to um, come try your products at some point and experience all that you're growing on the farm, what's the best way for people to find you and stay in touch with you? Probably best way would be uh, our Instagram account, which is at Blue Wheelbarrow. We have a website, uh, bluewheelbarrowfarm.ca, and our Facebook page too. Um, and if people are in the area and they want to actually see the fields, I'm always really happy to show people around and, and show them what we're doing so they can come right to the farm. We have the farm stand here um, and you're very welcome to, to walk the fields and see what's growing and coming up. And we'll also be uh, at the Wellington Farmers Market uh, every Saturday, which is just a gorgeous spot right on the water. Um, at the Wellington United Church. It's 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 a true county experience, the Wellington Farmers Market. Okay, yeah. well, I've never, I don't think I've ever been in the county on a Saturday. So my next trip back, it's got to be on a yeah, weekend exactly. in the summer. So look forward to seeing that in action. So all those links will be in the show notes to find you and to connect with the farm. And thank you so much for re-recording this. <laughs> I'm so happy that you were willing to do it. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this interview. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Great to see you again. 
All right, everyone. I am so happy that you tuned into this episode. I just want to say a big thanks to the county and to Trevor from the Build a New Life blog who have graciously brought me into their community and allowed me to create content for them and to come up to the county and be connected with the most incredible entrepreneurs. Prince Edward County truly has a way of capturing hearts and imaginations with its combination of rural calmness and authentic sophistication. The county has always been a hub for creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship in this extraordinary backdrop offering an unmatched quality of life. Entrepreneurship is a mindset in the county, an attitude, and a life adopted by people not satisfied with the status quo. The county provides unique opportunities to fulfill your passion and establish your own lifestyle. Prince Edward County, a friendly and real place to visit, live, work, and do business. So if you want to learn more about the county, please first of all reach out to me and then go check out buildanewlife.ca or their Instagram, visit the county. I am completely moved by the people who I've met there. You can find all our past episodes on my website at kelseyreidel.com slash podcast. And if you're going, I would love to give you suggestions and stay tuned for upcoming episodes with more business owners in the county. Thanks for listening to this episode of Visionary Life. Did you learn something new or are you inspired to take action on a new project? If so, please get in touch with me on Instagram at Kelsey Rydell or in our secret Facebook community. Just search Visionary Life by Kelsey Rydell on Facebook. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It helps us share the stories of visionary entrepreneurs with more and more people. If you're interested in working with me, just head to KelseyRidal.com. And if you've been thinking about joining my 90-day business coaching program, please reach out and book a free 15-minute call and I'd love to chat with you.